Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is Day 6. Today we will be reading Book 2, Chapters 4-7 through in the Ascension edition of the book. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast Godsplaining. There, you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. So, we made mention in the bonus episode, which introduced Book 2, that this particular scene here, the theft of the pears, was going to be very significant in St. Augustine's moral imagination and in his moral formation. And significant because it's a first kind of close look at the mystery of iniquity. We use the word mystery in different ways. So sometimes we'll talk about the mysteries of the faith and we call them mysteries because they're so radiantly bright that you can't take them in at one glance. But St. Augustine will also use this terminology, mystery of iniquity, and we call it a mystery because it's so inky black. So it's so obscure, it's so dark that it really doesn't admit of human comprehension or of human inquiry in a traditional sense. So yeah, with that in mind, let's go ahead and get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. 4. Theft is punished by your law, O Lord, and by the law written upon the hearts of men, which iniquity itself does not erase. For what thief will abide a thief? Not even a rich thief will abide someone who steals because of his poverty. Yet I lusted to steal and did so, compelled by no hunger nor by poverty, but from a contempt for justice and an excess of iniquity. For I stole something that I had enough of, and indeed more than enough. Nor did I care to enjoy what I stole, but rather took joy in the theft and sin itself. Near our vineyard there was a pear tree laden with fruit, tempting neither in its color nor in its taste. Some of us lewd young men went late one night, for in our pestilential custom we continued our playing of sports in the streets until that time of day, to shake and rob this tree. We took huge loads, not to eat them, but instead to fling them to the hogs, having ourselves only tasted them. We did all this only in order to do something that we liked, merely because it was disliked. Behold my heart, O God, behold my heart, which you had mercy upon in the lowest depths of the bottomless pit. Now behold, let my heart tell you what it sought there, seeking to be gratuitously evil, tempted to commit this evil solely by the evil itself. It was foul, and I loved it. I loved to perish and loved my own fault, not that for which I was at fault, but rather my fault itself. What a foul soul, falling from your firmament to utter destruction, not seeking anything through shame except shame itself. 5. For there is an attractiveness in beautiful bodies, in gold and silver and in all things. 
Likewise, in bodily touch, sympathy has much influence, and each of our other senses has a proper object that is suitably fitting for it. Worldly honor also has its allure, as does the power to overcome and dominate others, from which also springs thirst for vindication. However, all these can be attained without departing from you, O Lord, and without turning aside from your law. Also, the life that we here live has its own enchantment through a kind of proportion of its own and a correspondence with all things beautiful here below. So too, human friendship is sweet, forming a beloved knot through the unity thereby formed out of many souls. All these goods and others like them lead to the commission of sin when we immoderately incline toward these goods of the lowest order and forsake those of the better and higher order, you, our Lord, your truth and your law. For these lower things have their delights, but not like my God, who made all things. For in him do the righteous rejoice, and he is the joy of upright hearts. See Psalm 64.10. Therefore, when we ask why a crime was committed, we do not believe the claim unless we see that there might have been some desire to obtain what we call lower goods, or some fear of losing them. For they are beautiful and becoming, even though, in comparison with higher and beatifying goods, they are abject and lowly. Why did this or that man murder another? He loved his wife or his farm, or perhaps he would make robbing his livelihood, or he feared to lose something at the hands of this other person, or perhaps he had been wronged and was filled with a fiery desire to avenge himself. Would anybody commit a murder for no reason, merely taking delight in murder? Who would believe such a thing? For in the case of that furious and savage man who is said to be gratuitously evil and cruel, even there are causes assigned, quote, lest through idleness hand or heart should grow inactive, end quote. And to what end? so that, after taking the city through his crimes, he might attain honors, authority, riches, and freedom from fear of the laws, the financial difficulties involved in domestic affairs, and his conscience's awareness of wrongdoing. So then, not even Catiline himself loved his own wrongdoing, but something else, for the sake of which he committed such deeds. 6. What then, in my wretchedness, did I love in you, O theft, that I committed, you deed of darkness, in that sixteenth year of my life? You were not lovely, for you were theft, but are you anything such that I thus may speak to you? The pears that we stole were fair, for they were your creatures, you who are fairest of all, creator of all, you the good God, God the sovereign good and my true good. Those pears were fair, but they were not what my wretched soul desired. Indeed, I had others that were better, and I gathered these ones only so that I might steal. For after gathering them, I threw them away. The only feast I partook in was my own sin, which I was pleased to enjoy. For if I happened to eat any of those pears, what sweetened my tongue was the sin. And now, O Lord my God, I ask what I found so delightful in that theft. Behold, it has no loveliness. I do not refer to the loveliness that can be found in justice and wisdom, nor such as can be found in the mind, memory, senses, and animal life of man. Nor am I thinking of the stars and all their glory and beauty in the sky, nor the earth or sea filled with offspring, replacing by their birth those beings that decline toward death. Nor even am I thinking of the false and shadowy beauty that belongs to the deceptive appearance of the vices. For thus does pride imitate exaltation, whereas you alone are God, exalted over all. What does ambition seek other than honors and glory? But you alone are to be honored above all, glorious forevermore. The cruelty of the great would like to be feared. However, who is to be feared but God alone? What can be wrested or withdrawn from his power? When, where, whither, or by whom? The tenderness of the wanton would like to be judged to be love. Yet nothing is more tender than your charity, nor is anything loved to greater benefit than your truth, which is bright and beautiful above all. Curiosity has the appearance of being a desire for knowledge, but you supremely know all. 
Indeed, ignorance and foolishness are themselves cloaked in the name of simplicity and innocence, for nothing has greater simplicity than you. And what is more harmless than you? For the sinner injures himself by his own works, and sloth desires to be at rest, but what is stable and rest other than you? Luxury desires to be called plenty and abundance, but you are the fullness and never-failing abundance of incorruptible pleasures. Prodigality is a shadow of generosity, but you are the one who overflows most generously, you the giver of every good. Covetousness would like to possess many things, and you are the one who possesses all. Envy vies for excellence, yet what is more excellent than you? Anger seeks out revenge, but who avenges more justly than you? Fear is startled at things that are unexpected or sudden, placing beloved things in danger and calling for foresight to keep them safe. But what is unexpected or sudden for you? Or who can separate from you those whom you love? See Romans 8.39. Or where is unshaken safety to be found other than with you? Grief pines for things that are lost, the delight of its desires, for it wishes that nothing would be taken from it, as nothing can be taken from you. Thus, the soul commits fornication when she turns away from you, seeking without you those very things that she will find pure and untainted only when she returns to you. Hence, all perversely imitate you when they draw back afar from you and lift themselves up against you. However, even when they thus imitate you, they imply that you are the creator of all nature. Hence, there is nowhere that we can go to wholly depart from you. What then did I love in that theft? And in what way did I even corruptly and perversely imitate my Lord? Did I even wish to act contrary to your law by deceit? For I could not do so by power, so that here, as a prisoner, I might mimic a kind of mutilated freedom by doing with impunity deeds that I was not permitted to do through a kind of darkened likeness of your omnipotence? Behold your servant fleeing from his Lord and grasping a shadow. See Jonah 1 and 4. O rottenness, O monstrous and deformed life, O depth of death, could I like what I was not permitted to do only because I was not permitted to do it? 7. What shall I repay unto the Lord? See Psalm 116.12, so that while my memory recalls these things, my soul might not be filled with fear at the thought. I will love you, O Lord, and thank you and confess your name. See Isaiah 25.1, for you have forgiven me for these great and heinous deeds committed by me. I ascribe to your grace and mercy the fact that you have melted away my sins like ice. Likewise, I ascribe to your grace all the times that I avoided doing something evil. For what indeed might I have done, I, who even loved to sin for its own sake? Yes, I confess that all this has been forgiven, both the evils I willfully committed and what by your guidance I did not commit. What man, considering his own infirmity, could dare to ascribe his purity and innocence to his own strength, that he might thus love you less? as though he had less need of your mercy, by which you remit the sins of those who turn to you. And if anyone, having been called by you, has followed your voice and avoided the things that he reads me recalling and confessing about myself, do not let him hold me in scorn. For in my sickness, I was cured by that same physician who prevented, or rather lessened, his own sickness. And for this, let him love you as much, indeed more. For he sees that the one who healed me from such weariness of sin preserved him from such weariness." All right, so as we made mention in the bonus introductory episode, we are talking here about St. Augustine's senseless theft. And so it's strange that in this section and in the section to follow, he's doing his best to make sense of it. And we're not entirely surprised that he cannot make sense of it. 
Uh, so yeah, in light of maybe some of the comments that we made in that introductory episode and taking into account the church's tradition on, on sin and vice and specifically, you know, like on evil that we choose or evil that we do, how might we orient ourselves in this discussion talking about the, the theft of the pairs? The senseless, I guess, theft is, is kind of just the question of why like steal the pair? In a way, at first, we might be able to give reasons as to why it's not senseless. It's like, well, because he was with his friends and his friends were doing it. and Or he was hungry, which he kind of really wasn't. Or we can even say, I think sometimes when we try to address the questions of sin, especially things that seem to be small or like that we might say, ah, oh, that's not a big deal. That might be our response to why. It's like, why does it matter? Kind of who cares? But the reality is, is that what we do whether it's on the side of like doing good things, the side of virtue or doing bad things, the side of vice contributes to who we are. You know, what we do makes us who we are. A liar is a liar because he lies. You know, that's a thief is a thief because he thieves. I had to use the same word, but because he steals, you know, these sort of things. So it's important for us to at least get a sense, maybe not so much why stealing the pair in particular, but what is that trying to fill? You know, what what is that action in St. Augustine's life? And I, St. Augustine reflects on this, and we're going to reflect on it with him. But what lack exists in his life? What sort of emptiness in his heart exists that he thinks foolishly and here the senseless sort of thing that stealing a pair will fulfill? I think it's a provocative and helpful question, one we could apply to our own lives, daringly, maybe, cautiously, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think, you know, you'll hear it said often, this particular quotation from St. Augustine, which will come later in the confessions, you know, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That's a slight paraphrase. But that we as human beings are like one big open wound of desire. So we have a mind with which to know and a heart with which to love, which is something that we make reference to often in speaking about spiritual classics, because it kind of encapsulates what it means to be made to the image and likeness of God. And the image and likeness of God kind of sets us on a path. It sets us on a trajectory. So we're thrown open to what is true and what is good, but ultimately we're only ever going to be satisfied by what is wholly true and wholly good or truly true and truly good in the capital T sense and the capital G sense of truth and good. And so when we encounter limited things, this side of the grave, they're going to speak to us, but they're never going to wholly satisfy us because they can't. And that's not because they're bad. It's just because they're limited. But if we treat them in a way that they ought not be treated, then that is where we introduce badness or evil into the situation. And so like we've made reference to already, St. Augustine wants to love and to be loved. And in seeking an object of his love or seeking to engage with that object of his love, uh, he'll go about it in the wrong way, or he'll go about it in a way that's uh, that's sinful, right? That's disorderly, that's ultimately selfish, and that doesn't do justice to the things with which he's engaged. So I think that that's like, you know, like we're, we're beginning to see that here, and it's going to be a theme that we'll trace through the books that follow for sure, and uh, we're going to appreciate it from different angles. But this idea that, you know, we're made for it, and yet we can fall short of it. So you've got the agony, or I should say you've got the ecstasy, and the agony, insofar as you're called to a great thing, when you fail to attain to it, it brings about in you a very, very tragic realization. So yeah, I, I mean, like we've got St. Augustine's life on the one hand, we've got, you know, thinking of our listeners too, your own struggles with that. Father Jacob Bertram, where, where would you kind of go from that vantage in your own spiritual counsel and your own conversations with people? Yeah, there's, well, I, I guess another, before diving into that, if you don't mind, but there's this 
Reality too, as you were talking about, what did you say? The ecstasy and the agony, right? The ecstasy and the agony. For St. Augustine, the agony, see, and this might be true of us too, that the agony seems to come much later, you know, when he's writing the confessions or having years later, having reflected on the actions. Because in the moment, as he's reflecting and looking back on his life, it seems that he takes a great joy in doing the evil thing and stealing the pair. Like, you know, there's a happiness, there's an ecstasy that comes even from from doing what is what is wrong. And he experiences that. And I'm sure we experience that, you know, when I go back for like, I was going to say a third cheeseburger. I don't know if I've ever heard like that extra piece of pizza in that moment. It's like, oh, great. that That's awesome. But like 10 minutes later, I'm like, what did I do? You know, so there's the ecstasy in doing it. You take the joy in it. So it's just for me, it's a sort of why? Why does that happen? And this this kind of begins to answer your question of what sort of like spiritual counsel of recognizing or beginning or at least trying to recognize. I don't think growth in the spiritual life should be likened to a sort of existential sort of psycho whatever analysis of who we are. We don't have to attribute exact precise reasons as to why we're motivated to do particular things, but to understand like what is it that gets my heart and mind attached to something is sort of important. So why is it that St. Augustine took pleasure in stealing the pair? Why is it that we take pleasure in doing things that we know, we know often pale in sort of comparison to the goodness that God offers us? It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, as I'm posing a question with somebody on a podcast, I'm putting Father Gregory in a very tight and difficult spot because I'm asking him to answer a question that's been asked for centuries. But it's at least a place to start and consider what it is that our hearts are after. Yeah. And I, I think this is a great place to introduce the fact that we answer this question as human beings, which doesn't mean, okay, we're human beings, we can't know perfectly, or at least not at present, and so we should content ourselves with bad answers or partial answers or silly answers. No, but I think that as human beings, we're meant to heal and to grow over the course of our lives. So we are born into this world uh, in a state of original sin, so we're deprived of the original gifts with which God wanted to bless us. And when those gifts were kind of chased from our interior lives, they left these furrows in our heart, which makes it hard for us to know what is true and to love what is good and to act accordingly. And so it's just no surprise to us that we're gonna go about it in imperfect ways, that we're gonna be weak and wounded in our interaction with with reality. And so as we seek to grow in the life of grace and in the life of virtue, which is stirred up in the context of prayer and brought about by healthy and happy reception of the sacraments, et cetera, right, we're going to have a better and better sense of it. And I think you see that with Augustine, you know, so he is revisiting his life from a distance of years, having profited from God's grace and virtue, and he has a better sense of what's going on. But even still, he comes before the mystery of iniquity and just says, I just don't know. And um, this is something that you know, we had in a moral theology class at the House of Studies where our professor was describing another priest in the province who had a moral thought or kind of a moral reckoning at a very young age where he like pushed his little sister over. I don't know, he might have been five. And his mother asked him, like, what did you do? And he realized at that time that he couldn't respond because there's no good reason for a bad action. And I think that in our own moral growth and our own moral maturation, we come to a similar understanding. We'll look back on sins of our youth. We'll recognize our fragility, realize, but for the grace of God, go we even now. But still, we'll we'll kind of lose a capacity to sympathize with those past motivations because they become distant from us because they just like don't make sense to us in the way that they might have at the moment, which I think is 
I think it's good. You know, like there's a healthy part of Christian maturation or Christian growth, which is a kind of forgetting and a kind of distancing, even while retaining the holy memory of God's action at the time. So yeah, your fi final thoughts on this madness of sin and our coming to reasonability in time? Yeah, madness, mystery. I think they're good. It doesn't matter if I think they're good words. They are good words to, to describe the reality of sin. But in using them and in listening to them, if you're as you're listening to the podcast and reading them as you're reading through St. Augustine, take stock of what the words actually mean, you know, mystery and madness, that there is a mysterious quality and a sort of unreasonability to sin, a madness to sin. So that should indicate to us that we were never going to have perfect, precise, clear answers as to why we we do the things that we do with respect to our desire for evil or our desire or pursuit of evil, Not maybe not desire, that might be a little strong, but of our falling into sin. We can talk about it in certain terms as to you know what our hearts are after and these sort of things. But what I'm trying to get at here is that we ought not cling to our sin and failures as the things that define who we are and what we are and let them be stumbling blocks in our pursuit or our reception of our Lord's mercy and our Lord's grace. At some point, it's a sort of handing over of that sin, of that weakness, and letting our Lord work in our lives. You know, we don't have to have, we don't, well, I'll say it this way, and then I'll stop the ramble, that we don't have to perfect ourselves in order to receive God's mercy. You know, our Lord is at work in our lives, just as he was at in Augustine's life, even in stealing the pear to draw us, to draw St. Augustine into the light of Christ, the healing light, the merciful light of Christ. And, and that's what the Christian life and conversion is about. Not our sort of existential psychoanalysis of who we are, but about Jesus's love for us. Amen. So even if we don't know ourselves, God does, and his knowledge is creative. And in his creative knowledge, he gives us the grace, he bestows upon us the mercy whereby we can move from here to there. And there, please God, is heaven. So, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics.